0: You know, years ago, our family got to go to um, South Dakota's Jewel Cave. Have you ever heard of that? It's it's this amazing thing. It's it's twelve hundred acres of caves and caverns. It, it makes up over two hundred miles of passageways, and, and and all of it is encrusted. Uh, with this calcite crystal, this multi it, it, it's just, it's beautiful. It, it's such an amazing thing. And, and I remember just a, a couple things from the trip. I remember a crystal that looked like a giant slab of bacon. <laughs> I don't know why that stuck, but it did. Uh, really, the main thing that I remember, the, the thing that I remember more than anything else, so it wasn't the the beauty, it wasn't the crystals, it it wasn't the, the amazing experience of traveling 300 feet below ground, 30 stories underground. No, no, the thing I remember most was the moment during the tour when they turned off the lights. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right before they turn off the lights, they, they, they tell everyone, okay, so this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna turn off the lights. And we're like, okay, big deal. Uh, He says that what we don't want you to do is we don't want you to move. We don't want you to go anywhere. We don't want you to try to find your way to a different spot, just wherever you're at, stay there because you will not be able to see anything. You know what I know to be a fact? There is no natural light 300 feet below the surface of the earth. When they turned off the lights, I found out that I didn't really know what complete darkness was until that moment. Man, you could poke yourself in the eye and never see it coming. <laughs> I did not do that, okay, just, just to be clear. But you could. It was so dark. And, and, you know, here's the deal. When it's that dark, trying to navigate yourself anywhere especially if, if your surroundings are somewhat perilous, like somewhere in a massed array of 200 miles of passageways underground. It can be dangerous. You know what's even worse? There are some people who live their lives just as blind as I was the moment they turned off those lights. They walk through this life without any light to navigate by. Even worse are those folks that think that they have light. And so they're stepping out with great boldness and they're moving forward in all sorts of directions, but they don't truly have light. They're blind and they're headed for serious trouble. It's that dynamic that Jesus is addressing in our passage this morning in Luke chapter 11. As we've been working our way through Luke chapter 11, we find ourselves uh, this morning uh, picking up in verse 33. So I want you to do this. I want you to grab your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 11. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? So it's the third gospel. Find chapter 11, it's between 10 and 12, just in case you were wondering. Find verse 33. And I invite you to do this stand. Uh, I'll I'll read. You can follow along. Um, We stand out of respect because this isn't our thing. This is God's thing. This is him speaking to us. Here's what Luke records. Jesus is speaking, and he says, No one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light, with no part in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated." as when a lamp shines its light on you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for an opportunity for us together to be in the light of your word. God, I pray that this morning, uh, you would use this time uh, to reveal to us those areas where we have not had light, uh, where we have been willfully blind, god that you would use this time to shine your light upon us and within us that you would speak to us you would encourage and strengthen us lord you would correct us where we need it and you would set us back on the right path lord because we need that often i pray that you give us hearts that are humble and receptive to what you would say to us and lord that you would also do the work of moving us from agreeing with you to being changed by you. God, that we would go out from here different than we came in. Work in the midst of this time. We thank you for it and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit down. Scripture often uses this analogy that we just read of, of light and darkness And in fact, several different times in the Gospel of Mark and then as well in in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus uses this object lesson of a lamp, right? And he talks about where do you place a lamp when you light it? I mean, do you light the lamp and put it under a basket? No. No. I'm going to let it shine, right? That, the little kid's song that they sing downstairs. You don't put it under the bed. You don't put it down in the basement. But rather, you put it up on the lampstand so that it will cast its light all about. And he uses this analogy to, to communicate to us his desire for us to shed his light abroad in the world in which we live, But here, as Jesus uses that analogy and he speaks of light and darkness, he isn't using this to urge us toward evangelism, but rather, I believe, as we look at this, he is speaking here about the importance of discernment. That ability to see spiritual truth and that ability to see through deception now if you read this morning's passage too quickly uh, without uh, taking into account its context you know the things that are happening before and after it takes place uh, without stopping to uh, to look carefully at, at what it says it would be easy to just race through this passage thinking that it was just a rather awkwardly reworded retelling of Jesus's exhortation to boldly tell others about him. That's why context, and that's why a careful reading of scripture is so important. We approach scripture with what theologians would call a literal, grammatical, historical method of interpretation. Okay, that, that's important. That's why I share that, that, that technical language with you, but it, it's not that hard to break down. It, it's, it's just that when we come to Scripture, we want to try to understand it in light of its context. When was it written? Where was it written? What was its place in history? Who said it, and, and who did they say it to? And, and what do the actual words that we're reading mean? We take scripture literally. We don't view it as some sort of a allegorical or mystical story that you and I are then tasked with finding some spiritual meaning and assigning it to it. No, we take scripture to mean exactly what it says. And when we read that Jesus died and then rose again, guess what? we believe that he really was dead, uh, completely dead, and that he actually and and truly rose physically back to life again. Uh, We take it to mean exactly what it says. Uh, We read statements of fact found within scripture as fact, and we read poetry, guess what? As if it were poetry. We understand analogies and metaphors to be analogies and metaphors. And we understand that the best explanation of any passage of Scripture is always going to be other Scripture. Not what some guy or some group says, but what Scripture itself says about itself. And that's because we believe that it truly is God's Word. The Bible doesn't merely contain God's word. You don't have to open up your Bible and search for the part that is God's word. No, that isn't it. It is the word of God. It is the divinely inspired word of God. As the Apostle Paul explains it to his disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says this, all scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. It's inspired by God. Literally, the language is God breathed. It comes right out of his mouth. It's breathed out by God, and he says that it is profitable. It's useful to us. For what? Well, for teaching, showing us how we're to live, for rebuking us, telling us when we're wrong. I'm, I I know you guys are never wrong. You guys never get off track, but I do constantly. And so he's constantly rebuking me. He's constantly saying, no, no not that way. No no, 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 not that way. And he corrects me. He puts me back on the, the the right track. And so it's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It shows us how to live. So if we want to understand what Jesus is saying here, and I think that this passage is one of the more difficult to understand of the statements of Jesus, we first need to consider the context, right? We take it as literal. We take it as as historical. It took place in a, a time and a place and a setting in history. And so we need to consider well, what what's going on right before and what's going on a- after this. And so think back just the last several weeks. And what we see happening is that Jesus is with a crowd of people. He's, he's teaching and he's, he's healed someone. And it's just this amazing miracle that he performs. But what is the response of, of the people there? Well, the religious leaders are there. And they ask Jesus for, well, an even greater sign. They said that, that whole healing thing, Jesus, that was cool. I mean, we have to admit we couldn't do that. Um, that was good. But could you do something more spectacular? And do you remember his answer? He said, I won't play your game. I'm not gonna give you, I'm not gonna give you this just because it's something you want. But he does talk about, I will give you the sign of the resurrection, right? The sign of, of the prophet Jonah. So we have these religious leaders who are questioning Jesus's validity. That's going on before Jesus says what he says here. Well, what's going on after? Well, Well, if you look forward, In the next several passages, uh, we see that uh, that Jesus speaks a series of rebukes to the religious leaders. My favorite line in the whole thing is one uh, one of the religious leaders says to Jesus, you know that's offending us, right? And Jesus says, yeah, glad you're listening. I thought you were asleep, but you are paying attention. You should be offended. So Jesus is just outright rebuking these religious leaders. And here's why. They think that they can see clearly, but they can't. They're blind. They're in the dark. So understanding the context of of what Jesus says here, we need to next begin to take a careful look at what it is that Jesus is. And that's what we do, right? Sunday to Sunday, We, we walk through the passage together. So let's do that. Beginning in verse 33, Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. Now, we're familiar with that, right? This is an analogy that Jesus has laid out numerous times. He does it in Mark. He, he, in Matthew 5, he, he gives that same story, but then he follows it up with an explanation. He basically says, here's what I mean by that. In Matthew 5, he, he, he says that and he says in the same way. So he says, here's what I mean. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So most basically, Jesus is saying, let the way that you live your life demonstrate to everyone around you the reality of your professed faith in God. And Jesus is, is calling them and he, he's calling us to, to live our lives out of the reality that we are a new creation. You, you understand that, right? Do you understand that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation? Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there in verse 17. Paul says this, if anyone is in Christ, and I love this. I love that he says it that way. Don't you love that? It isn't just if the really sharp people, if the smart ones are in Christ, I'd have to, okay, well, I don't need to pay attention to the rest of that sentence. You know, whatever it is, it's for the smart people. It's not for me. But what he says is if anyone, any one of us is in Christ, what does he say? You are a new creation. You, not other Christians, you. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And here's what he's talking about, the old, the old you, the old way of living, the old way of thinking, the old way of processing life, that's to be gone. That there's a transformation that takes place. There's a shift that happens. Understand this, those who belong to Christ, those who are saved, not only are you justified in that moment of salvation so that you can spend eternity in heaven, something happens, Something amazing happens in the moment of salvation. Someone becomes justified before God. In other words, Christ has paid the penalty for your sin. He has covered you with his righteousness so that when you stand before God, your eternal destiny changes from what it was, which was not a good thing, to now what it is, being eternally with God in heaven. But not just justification takes place. In that moment, when we come to salvation, another process begins. Uh, The justification process, that is an instantaneous thing. You know, you come to Christ, you could drop dead that next second without fixing anything, without apologizing for anything, without setting anything straight. And if you arrived in heaven, just the, the moment, one heartbeat after surrendering yourself to Christ, you would find yourself in eternal bliss. But there's another dynamic, there's another aspect of what happens, is the minute we get saved, we enter into this process of sanctification. We begin to live differently here, and God begins to work in our life for that change to take place, and that change often has a lot of bumps doesn't it it has setbacks and it it has detours and and man i didn't i didn't work for my justification at all i i don't think you did either it's all what christ did and yet he calls us into the process with sanctification doesn't he and man sometimes that can be a a, a brutal process it can be a, a it means hard choices And it means difficult choices and and walking things out. Well, the rest of what Jesus says in our passage this morning, he's talking about that process of sanctification, really. And he's talking about what it can be, what it should be, when his light shines into our lives. But he also talks about what can go wrong if the light within us is darkness. Let's take a look at what he says. He says here in verse 34, your eye is the lamp of the body. Oh, wait a minute, Jesus. I thought I understood this whole analogy. And now he begins to kind of switch it up on us. This is really the hardest part of the passage to understand, because here Jesus is bending his analogy. So Jesus is the source of light, right? And he is his transforming work in our lives is the light that shines out into the world through the lampstand of our transformed living. But then Jesus kind of changes things up and he says, your, your eye is the lamp of the body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Take care then, pay attention, he says, that the light in you is not darkness. So, How are we supposed to understand that? What are we supposed to do with that? How in the world is our eye like a lamp? I mean, it would be kind of cool if lasers shot out of our eyes, right? I mean, it'd be easy to tell who's a Christian and who's not. You know, is he a believer? I don't know. I've never seen his laser eye. So, no, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think if we we take into account the function of the eye physically uh, to our lives, it's through our eyes that we experience life, right? It's through our eyes that we evaluate everything we see. We look at stuff and and we decide, is this true or is this false? Uh, We were in Korea a few years ago and um, we went to this um, museum, um, uh, uh, optical illusion museum. And basically what it is, is it's a selfie emporium. It's a place you go to take weird selfies. And so they've set up these little stages and you can make a picture look like you're being eaten by an alligator. Um, I picked one where my head was coming out of a toilet. I don't, I, I don't know what that says about my self-image, but you know, you, you, they have all these things. You can be a baby in a baby carriage, all these different things. It, but the minute you look at a picture like that, okay, the minute you look at a picture like that, you're going, this looks real, but, and you're making this decision right? You're making this decision. The information is coming in through your eyes and and you're making this decision. Is this truth or is this a lie? I wasn't eaten by an alligator, nor did I have my head in a toilet bowl. So I'll just help you with that part. Um. (laughs) So helpful, isn't it? when we take in as well into account as well the context of this passage okay cuz we're trying to understand what is Jesus saying here okay the eye is kind of how things come in that's where we decide truth or lie and and let's look at the context here Jesus is is dealing with these religious leaders and that they're doubting his validity they are they're, they're saying that they they're not they're not buying in And then we see on the other side of it, uh, Jesus begins to rebuke them. And he's really pointing to the fact that they think they can see clearly. They think they know truth, and yet they are rejecting the one who is truth himself. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is that the eye is a lamp in that it lets light in. And so here Jesus is talking about discernment. He's talking about discernment. So if your eye is good, you, you are correctly picking truth and identifying the lie. You're able to tell the difference between the two. And so, because of that, if your eye is good, if you discern truth accurately, then that truth that you accept, it comes in, right? It impacts the whole of your life. So if your eye is good, then your body is full of light, right? You're just flooded by light and the light comes in and and it deals with you. If you accept the actual truth, then it has an impact on the the way that you live all of your life. But if your eye, that which lets truth in, if it is bad, if you accept as truth, Something that is not quite truth because it only has to be a little off, right? It only has to be a little bit off for it not to be the truth. Well, well, if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be filled with darkness, he says. It's gonna have an impact upon the whole of how you live. And that's why Jesus says this, take care. He says, pay attention. Don't don't sleep through this, he says, that the light in you is not darkness. Friends, if our discernment is off, if we accept as true that which is false, it will wreak havoc. It will wreak havoc in our living. And think about that. If you are getting your truth from Facebook, heaven help you right? If you're getting your, your, your truth from the news, oh boy, if you're getting your truth from some secret website or some great videos that you've seen, you're just as much in trouble. If you're defining truth as being those things you agree with or those things that you just feel good about them or, or those things that, that benefit you personally, you're in serious trouble. If you determine that something is true because of a feeling you have, a spiritual feeling, or because some person says it is so, you're probably in trouble then too. Friends, there is only one reliable filter. There is only one filter for what is truth and what isn't and that's scripture. It's God's word. That's why the psalmist says what he says in in Psalm 119. The longest psalm in all the Bible, the longest chapter in all the Bible, all dedicated to how awesome God's word is. The, The psalmist basically says over and over again for like 150 verses, your word is awesome right? And he just finds 150 different ways to say it. But in verses 104 and 105, listen to what he says. The psalmist says, I gain understanding from your precepts. The psalmist says, man, I am just, I am reading, and think about this, the psalmist, so he is reading the law. He says, as I read the law, I'm getting smarter. I am seeing what I should not do and why I shouldn't do it. And I'm seeing what I should give myself to and why and it is making me live smarter he says therefore i hate every false way and then i love this he says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path you know in the in midwinter it gets dark in here right before it's time to go home And, and i'm cheap so i don't turn on the lights um, if you are all aren't here, I basically leave the lights off. And so sometimes Eric and I will be, we'll be heading out and it's already dark outside. And a couple weeks ago, uh, we were heading out. We do, we use a couple of the little lights in the middle here and um, so those were on and Eric went back to turn them off and um, he turned them off and man, it was dark. It was just, I don't know why, it was just dark that day. And, and um, Eric went to leave and um, someone had moved a chair. And Eric found it with his full body. Yeah, he he embraced that chair in a warm hug of affection. It did not share his affection. It just hurt him. It's hard to see when it's dark, right? But it's not hard if there's a light. If you got a light, you're good. You see the obstacles. You see the things to avoid. You don't run into the chair. What does the psalm say? Your word is a light to my path. It's a lamp for my feet. Your word is what lets me see so I can know how to navigate, where to go, what to avoid, what path to take. So it's by reading God's word, it's by knowing his word, not just having read it, but actually letting it soak in so that I begin to know what it says and and it becomes a part of me, really. It begins to shape my thinking and my living. And this is key by choosing to submit myself to it. I've got to expose myself to it, right? I've got to know what it says and let it soak into me, but then I've also got to just come to this place where, where I decide, Lord, I've got lots of opinions. None of them will trump what your word says. I've got lots of great ideas, I've got lots of thoughts, but none of them are going to be in the hierarchy above your word. Your word has authority over me. Your word has authority over my life. You know, this week was my third week of once a week memorial services three in a row, Um, the last two were wonderful. Now, that may sound weird to you, but they really were. Uh, Not because the guys who passed were perfect, because they weren't. But they they were men who made a choice at some point in their life to submit themselves to the word of God. They were men who came to a place where they decided, you know what? My opinion is below the authority of the Word of God. And I'm going to live my life according to what God's Word says. These guys were not famous, they didn't make a big mark. You know, no news channel covered their passing, they weren't wealthy, right? but there were lives that were lived well. They were lives that were lived well. That's what I want. I've given up on being richer than Bill Gates or Elon Musk. Probably not gonna happen at this point. I've given up on being better looking than some movie star. That never really was a possibility. I've given up on being smarter or whatever but I want to live my life well. I want to live the life that God has given me and I want to live it well. I want to get to the end. And I don't want you all to have to get together and make stuff up to say about me, right? That, that happens, by the way, I, I've done a lot of funerals. And sometimes you got to make stuff up. People feel the need to anyway. I want that. I want to live well. If you want your life to be lived well, if you want your life to be shaped by the Word of God, it, it's just simple logic. It's just math. If you want your life to be shaped by the Word of God, you're going to have to know the Word of God. Okay, Osmosis doesn't work. Uh, not with the Bible, anyway. You can't just like stick it under your pillow and think, ooh, it'll soak in, right? <laughs> it, it, it's not going to work. You, you, it, this means you're going to have to spend time and not only reading God's Word, but, but really seeking to understand it and to integrate it into your living. That means that you, you, we're going to need to commit ourselves to investing our time and our energy into God's Word, Now, don't misunderstand me. It is still a work of grace, okay? What I mean by that is it's God that's gonna get it done. It's gonna be something that he is going to do within you, okay? This isn't gonna be something that that will be accomplished by your effort, and yet God has just chosen to, to require our effort, our choice, our willingness. You know, you and I, if this is going to be the dynamic in our life that we are going to become people of the word, it's going to mean making some practical choices and commitments. You you won't just automatically wake up early to spend time in the word. In fact, I promise you, even if you're like me and you just wake up at unreasonable hours uh, unwillingly, Yeah, you wake up and you're just like, oh. Why am I awake? If you just decide to spend that time reading the Word, you will sleep like a baby till 9 or 10, right? And even setting an alarm. Setting an alarm, if you don't make it, if you make it an optional thing to get up when the alarm goes off, you'll take that option, right? You'll just hit that snooze button again and again. You will never just find time to spend in the Word. You will have to make time. And you'll need help. You'll need accountability and encouragement from those around you. But I want you to remember this. Or remember what we looked at a couple weeks ago in in the book of James. There in James 4.8, we are given a promise that, oh man, this one, take this to the bank, cash this check, okay? Here God is giving you this promise. Cash it in. God says, if you will draw near to God, he will push you away because you stink. Right? No, not at all. If you will draw near to God, think about this. He will draw near to you. You are not in this alone. You ever have a coworker who just works entirely too hard? You love being partnered with them, right? Because they are just, they are just a motor. They're just going. They're just going, and you're just along for the ride, and it makes it easier to get through. And That's a great thing. Can you imagine having Gada as your co laborer And that's what this is saying is you draw near to God, he is going to draw near to you. I promise you, his drawing near to you will be far more effective than your drawing near to him. He will do this in you. And man, when you begin to live like that, when you begin to draw near to God, you experience him drawing near to you, look out. Because, man, that is when this journey gets good. I, I didn't say easy, but it is when it becomes so, so good. Well, Jesus said that when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But he also said the opposite, didn't he? He also said when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. And then he follows it up. He says, look out. Don't think I'm not talking to you. Okay, and so I think we should we should be careful. We should be cautious if we think, well, that's not me. <laughs> that's probably the first sign that it is you, right? If you're saying, oh, I think that might be me, you're probably okay. Uh, but you know, here's this thing: don't misunderstand who these religious leaders were. We like to to paint them with a broad brush. Oh, they were those nasty people. They probably smelled bad. You know, they, their breath was probably foul. And they, they were nasty and mean to everyone. Well, no, not really. These were the, the, the guys who were trying to take the word of God seriously. They were the ones who were saying, man, we need to do what it says. We need to live our lives right. It says that they were outwardly righteous, and that's not an entirely bad thing. They were righteous in their outward living. They were doing what was right. now, the problem was they lacked inward righteousness. They were rotten with selfishness and spiritual pride within. But from the outside, they were were doing what was right. They certainly knew God's word. They were the ones who, who were all about God's word, and they were strict about keeping it. Here's where it went south, though. And this is kind of the dynamic. This is how it happens with us as well, I think, quite often. When we are really serious about God's word and we know what His word is calling us to, we're like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then what do we do? We blow it. We blow it every time. uh, We mess up. uh, We fail. We fall. And then we feel cruddy about it because we were serious about this. Scripture tells us all of sin and fall short, right? None of us is going to be able to keep God's law. None of us is going to be able to attain to that standard of holiness and righteousness. It's going to have to be a work of grace that God does in us. But, but when we decide that we're going to do this thing and then we fail, we feel cruddy about it. So what do we do? Well, if I can't keep those laws, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to make, some up, make up some of my own that I can do. That is way too hard, but I can do this stuff. And so I make up my own set of rules. I add traditions and, and, and rules of living and standards that are basically probably most of the time usually really good things. But they're not what God has declared. They're not God's standard. They're our thing. And when I do well at keeping those, I look down my nose at you peons I think you're not as righteous and as holy as I am. And I condemn you for not keeping my rules and my traditions. And that's, that's really what was going on. We see that happen in the Gospels, in, in Jesus' relationship with the, uh, with the religious leaders. He did not keep their traditions. He did not follow their rules about hand-washing or fasting every week or not touching the Gentiles. And when he didn't pay attention to their rules, they rejected him. And so, because the light in them was darkness, think about that, think about that. That good thing, that that light, it, it was darkness for them because they were rejecting Jesus because they were clinging to their thing. And so their discernment is off now. They are holding on to the traditions and the rules of man while they are rejecting God's Messiah. And that, that turns off the light right? When when we are allowing God's word to shine into our lives, man, it casts that light everywhere. There's no hiding, right? The lights are on and they're so bright that there are no corners that, that don't get messed with, that don't get addressed. Isn't that how the Lord works within you? There's stuff that's like, God, you can't leave that alone? I mean, it's so little. It's such a minor thing. Can't you just let me, you know, really? We have to deal with that too, and yeah, he does, because it reaches every corner. But when our eye is bad, when we have switched over from, from seeing as the authority in our lives the word of God to seeing as the authority in our lives really our, our version of it, whether it be a, a licentious thing, well, I know God's word says I'm not to do this, but God told me it was okay. No, he didn't. You may have heard a voice tell you it was okay. I promise you, it was not God. God does not give exemptions for sin. Nor does he add rule upon rule to stack upon us. That's the other way that can flow. We make our rules the thing. And either way that it goes, it turns off that light. It shuts off the lights. And like me down in the middle of Jewel Cave, man, they hit that power switch. I couldn't see a thing. Not a thing. And the lights go off. The process comes to an end. And so Jesus says, be careful. Be careful, don't allow the light in you to be darkness because if you believe yourself and reject Jesus, like these religious leaders, you'll become hypocrites. You'll become an enemy of Jesus. Look at them. They end up plotting his murder, outright opposing God's Messiah. And remember, they became what they were in the midst of being the leaders in the Bible movement. Well, In the midst of spending every day worshiping their God and maintaining an outward righteousness. Don't think for a second that it couldn't happen to any of us. That is exactly what happens when we give any other source the sort of authority that should be reserved for the word of God. Whatever truth you're hanging on to, if it is not clearly declared by God's word, grasp it lightly and then cling with all your might to the truth, to the word of God. Cling with all your might to the word of God Submit yourselves and you're living to it. And when you do that, when you do that, look at verse 36. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no part of it in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated as when a light shines its light on you. You know, when God's work in us moves forward, that's, he begins to accomplish some amazing things. It's, it's like Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, how our, our, we become transformed by the renewing of our mind. I love that passage there in Romans 12, 1 and 2, where he talks about how this world is always trying to press us into its mold. That's a J.B. Phillips, uh, he translated Don't let this world press you into its mold. Think of a kid with a Play-Doh set and they got that lump of Play-Doh, and they've got the mold of an elephant or whatever shape it is, and they press that, that Play-Doh into the mold, right? And, and they pull it out, and it looks just like the mold. And that's what this world is always trying to do with us. It is always trying to press us into its mold and to make us shaped and formed to look like this world. God says, don't let this world press you into its mold but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So God says, but I'm not going to just shove you into a mold. I'm going to do this differently, God says. Instead of working from the outside to shape you, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to work from the inside. We're going to renew your mind. We're going to take God's word and we're going to apply it to to how you process life and how you see things and understand things. We're going to shift the way that you think, and that is going to impact the way that you then live, and you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind as God's word does its work upon you. when your thinking has changed, it impacts your whole life. It impacts your whole life. And that's when the journey gets really good. And that's when this journey through life begins to, to be such a delightful thing because you're getting closer to a really good destination. You ever have to travel somewhere for some awful Thing I don't know maybe you traveled for a, a Rook Canal or you, you know you, you had a long trip to to get to a colonoscopy I don't know it, you know just something awful and you had to travel a long way to get man that's the longest trip in the world isn't it that's just the worst but you ever travel anywhere to to experience something exceptional something so good. Man, you're just going. You just go the and it just flies by. And it's such a, you are willing to endure inconveniences when you know that there's a good goal at the end, when there's a great destination that you're going to arrive at. I love Psalm 43, verse 3. I'll often begin my time in the Word in the morning just by reflecting on this single verse of the Psalms. The psalmist says this to the Lord. He says, send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Oh man, I'll often start my time with the Lord and say, Lord, you know me, you know I'm stupid. So send your light, guide me, lead me, get me there, take me by the hand, open your word to me so that I'll not only understand what it says but how it's to be integrated into my life and impact me through this and bring me to where you want me to be and where I want to be in your presence. And I wanna get I want to get further along on this journey. I want to get closer to the destination. I want to get to the place where I can smell heaven. Where man, I just I can I can, I can almost see it. Because the Lord is drawing me closer and closer to himself. Cuz that's when this journey's good. It's always hard. It always has its difficulties. But as we draw closer to the Lord and we allow him full access into our lives, and we give him the authority uh, above all else to speak to us. And, and we reserve that authority for His word. His light shines in, and man, the journey begins to change. And it's a good thing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that this morning you would accomplish the very thing that we've talked about in us, in our lives, Lord, that you would take your word and that you would shine it into our lives, and uh, Lord, you would stir us up, and Lord, you would point out to us those areas where we have given too much authority to whatever source it is. And, Lord, that we would renew ourselves to that commitment of giving you and your word the highest place. And, Lord, shine your light into us, Lord, and deal with us and encourage us and strengthen us and draw us to yourself and shape us, Lord, that as we continue on this journey, that we would draw closer and closer to you until we can smell heaven. And prayed in Jesus' name.